Lots of channels, nothing to watch, especially if you're searching for the truth. It's time to interrupt your regularly scheduled programs with something actually worth watching. Salem News Channel, straightforward, unfiltered, with in-depth insight and analysis from the greatest collection of conservative minds like Hugh Hewitt, Mike Gallagher, Sebastian Gorka, and more. Find truth. Watch 24-7 on SNC.TV and on Local Now, Channel 525. Portions of the following program may be pre-recorded. The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. Welcome to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Pastor Ray from the National Prayer Chapel. I want to talk to you about Jesus. Yesterday, I 
spoke to you about the great desire of my heart for new revelation of Jesus. I spent most of yesterday crying out to him and praying, reading the word, fasting. Some of you, by your feedback, thought I was discouraged. Nothing could have been further from the truth. I'm not discouraged. But I'm seeing the true condition of my heart and of the heart of God's people. And I know we're about a mile wide and a quarter of inch deep. We are beyond shallow. And the cry of my heart is more of Jesus. I woke up early. I got up. Still dark. And I was still just in the depths crying out to Jesus. I finally stumbled back and crawled under the covers. It was cold. I didn't wake up for two hours. When I awakened, Jesus had come. My heart was aware of his presence. And I began to sing and shout for joy. To praise him and honor him. Because Jesus came. Jesus is so filled with love and compassion, mercy. He has a very tender heart. It's hard to leave the presence of Jesus and go and talk with other people in the world because it seems so coarse <clears throat> so so harsh can I tell you Jesus is not harsh he doesn't have that wolf nature that we're accustomed to in this world he is truly the lamb of God he is a a gentle person, beyond strong, but gentle, compassionate, loving. And this morning my heart rejoiced in him. But then I, I spent time with him, and then I came to prepare for the broadcast. And part of the task I have is to prepare a piece of music to select it for the opening of the broadcast to give people time to connect on the YouTube. 
so they don't miss a part of the message if they want to hear the whole thing. And so I began going through a number of different songs. And I began to weep because of the worldliness I saw in the musicians. I was deeply troubled by that. And all I could do was weep. The worldliness was so apparent in the way they were dressed. (coughs) Pardon me. (coughs) I'm at the last stages of this cold that I've struggled with. I wept because it seemed so crude, so harsh, so casual. And Jesus is so kind and so refined and so so clean. No darkness in Jesus. Now, am I satisfied? No. No, I'm not satisfied. I still am continuing to cry out to Jesus. Because I need even more of a revelation of who he is. See, we can have a revelation of Jesus one minute. We can rejoice in what he's done in our hearts. And then the next minute dive into some wickedness. Or be harsh with someone. Or judgmental or dive into some kind of uncleanness. How is that possible? Well, it's possible because many of us are still so double-minded. There is a lust in our hearts for whatever it is we desire. And when we don't get it, when we don't have it, dive into darkness some of you have by the grace of Jesus been totally changed you're a new creature in Christ I rejoice in that I too am a new creature in Christ and I rejoice in my Savior but I also recognize that it's very tempting to settle into Witnessing, sharing, reading the scripture, fasting and praying, doing the normal things, the disciplines of the Christian church, fasting, praying, reading the scripture, giving to the poor. You know what? If if all of that transformation of our hearts, if all of that Discipline of fasting and praying and reading the word and giving to the poor and the work of the gospel. If if we settle into that and we don't have more of Jesus, then of what value is all of this 
religious life. I tell you, all of my life I have had this fountain welling up in my heart that says, I want more of Jesus. And sometimes when I become comfortable in my life as I'm living it, it seems that that hunger dies down. And then I begin to recognize that it's, that it's settling down in my heart and I'm becoming comfortable in where I'm at. Remember Jesus said, <clears throat> we would do what he's doing and we would do even greater things than these. Well, I'm not doing greater things. I'm not even doing what Jesus did. So I know there's a grand place of of Holy Spirit presence and power. I want all that Jesus has for me. And I know that the only way I can enter into that is by a much deeper spirit of repentance in my heart. I have not arrived. I'm not who I need to be. I'm not who I should be. I'm a fellow pilgrim. I'm on my way, but I'm not arrived. And so my heart keeps crying out for more of Jesus. And this morning was one of those wonderful times when he came and just cleared all the clouds away, brought me into his presence. I experienced such an outpouring of love and kindness and mercy. And my heart rejoices in that. But I don't have enough of Jesus. I'm not yet connected in the way he wants to connect me to himself so that he can flow through me. And on the other hand, as I read Second Peter, I'm frankly quite terrified by, by his warnings. They warn me not to become casual and not to settle into my positive witness about who Jesus is, but to go more, to go deeper, to lay my life down. I've been repenting of my assertiveness. I've always been, having come from a poor country farmer, I was always reaching out for more. Maybe it's just a part of the human heart and the human nature. 
But I know that Peter's warnings sound harsh to me. But he's about ready to die as a martyr. He's going to be crucified. He's going to be executed by the wicked Nero. And he is so urgent in his heart to communicate these warnings that we would not settle into some kind of religious experience and not have the fullness of the Holy Spirit's power, not have the experience of Jesus that he has. And he wants us to have this this precious faith. And I want that. Now, some of you may not like that I come confessing my lack. But it goes hand in hand with my deep love for Jesus. Jesus' love has ruined me for this world and its attractions. It's ruined me for the conversation of the world. I find myself constantly turning in prayer to talk with the Lord. And when I'm with people who are so-called Christians, who don't have a hunger to pray, I find myself becoming very quiet and reserved. When I'm with pagans, then I... I'm full bore on. I'm there to talk with them about Jesus. I'm there to call them to repentance. I'm there to love them and and serve them. But it's much different when I'm with Christians who, who really are not hungry for Jesus. I'm hungry. And he told me, My body is real food, and my blood is real drink. I want all he has. He was speaking spiritually, but I know that that as I keep my eyes on Jesus, he becomes larger and larger in my vision. When I focus on my physical life, when I focus on on just living, Jesus begins to fade in my perception and in my awareness of his presence. I don't want that to happen. And so I deliberately keep my eyes focused on Jesus And as I look at him, I'm consumed by him. He becomes more and more to me. And I become less and less. That's what I want. What do you want? What's your heart hungry for? It's really important to identify what your heart is hungry for because what your heart is hungry for is what you're going to go after. And Jesus, if he's he's not the one you're really hungry for, 
he will be secondary and first and foremost will be what you want. What you're hungry for. Now in Second Peter, the second chapter, verse 4. For if God spared not angels after having sinned, but he delivered them to chains of dense darkness, having held them captive in, in Tartus. Now, in the New Testament, there are three words that are used for hell. Gehenna, this is the place to which the lost are assigned This is where a person goes who is held in captivity waiting for the day of judgment when their punishment will be meted out to them. You don't want to go to Gehenna. Gehenna was also used in the day of Jesus. It was the dump. It's where they would dump the bodies of the dead who were wicked. This is where the the two men who were crucified with Jesus, they broke their legs, they suffocated, and then they took them, whether they had suffocated or not, and threw them in Gehenna, a place close to Jerusalem. But Gehenna, in the Greek, is usually in reference and is used to describe the place, the dump where godless people are sent to await their punishment. Hades is the place where the spirits are also kept. At times it's Gehenna, No, I'm sorry. Gehenna is the place where the lost are assigned after the judgment. Hades is the place where they are kept until judgment. But there's a third word, uh, Tartar. And this is the place where the fallen angels are kept. They're kept for judgment. Now, the Lord did not make any way of escape for the angels who disobeyed him, who left their place, their abode in the heavenlies and came down to earth and according to Genesis, mated with human women. And for that sin, they were cast into this place where angels are kept imprisoned. Tartar. Now it says, they're being kept for judgment and spared not the ancient world, but they preserved, God preserved Noah, the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness, having brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly and the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. 
he condemned with destruction, having reduced them to ashes. So angels he cast into a prison. And we know he's going to cast the devil into that prison for a thousand years. Revelation, the 20th chapter. So he made Sodom and Gomorrah an example of what he's going to do to human beings who give way to the lust of their flesh, who walk in uncleanness and rebellion. Now, verse 9, the Lord knows how to deliver the godly out from temptation and to reserve the righteous, the unrighteous, now being punished for the day of judgment. In other words, the Lord knows how to come. I've been crying out to the Lord, will you come? I need a deeper revelation of you, Jesus. And he came. And he's giving me that deeper revelation. I'm not satisfied yet. I'm going to continue pressing in. I need much, much more. But he knows how to deliver us out from temptation, unbelief, lust, anger, bitterness. He's the one who delivers us. Now let me just give a bit of theology quickly. When Jesus died on Calvary, he was offered as a sacrificial lamb to make atonement for our sin. But no person, no human person, need access that atonement. He does not force us to access that atonement. But if we do not cooperate with him, if we do not allow the Holy Spirit to do his work in our hearts, and if we do not allow him to remove the sin from our lives, if we rebel and we continue to go after the sins of the flesh, then the atoning blood of Jesus is of no effect for us. Salvation includes a two-part process. First, a forgiveness for all past sins. Then secondly, a total removal of our sin in actions and thoughts He regenerates us. He makes us new, something that never existed before. He transforms us into his likeness. And this is not a lifetime work. This is a very quick work if we allow him. So that Romans 6 very clearly tells us, along with, First John chapter 3, that we would not continue to walk in sin, any known sin, if we have been able to access by faith the atoning blood of Jesus. Now, after we've accessed that blood of Jesus, after we have by faith confessed our sin, we have repented of it, we have turned from it, And that's all not by works. It is by the power of God. 
but man must cooperate with God or there will be no salvation in your life. I want to say that again. Salvation is a synergistic work between the Holy Spirit and my heart and the blood of Jesus. The atoning sacrifice was finished at the cross. You've heard about the finished work of Christ. He finished that atonement at the cross. But it now must be applied to my life, and I must be transformed by the mighty working, the miraculous working power of God to change me into the likeness of Jesus, Christ in you, the hope of glory. And so it's a twofold work. It's a total wiping out of all past sins. And it's making me righteous. It's healing the brokenness. So I come not crying out for more of Jesus because I'm walking in sin. I come crying out for more of Jesus because he is my eternal hope. He is the love of my heart. He is there to totally bring me into himself connecting me intimately with the vine, the, the power of God flowing through me, pruned by the Father, disciplined by the Holy Spirit. It's a growing up process. It's not a continuous dealing with sin in my heart. If I'm continually dealing with sin, I need to look very closely at the doom that is assigned the man or woman who continues to walk in sin. The problem is we can look at that that doom that's spoken at Sodom and Gomorrah and then walk right back into our sin. How is that possible? Because we're not looking at Jesus. Jesus is not filling the vision of our heart. We're focused on our money-making. We're focused on our friendships. We're focused on what we want instead of on Jesus. He says, they are arrogant, self-willed. They're not afraid. He's speaking about people who have either sat or listened or are a false teacher. They are marked by arrogance, by self-will. They're not afraid. They say, I'm saved. I'm on my way to heaven. I can't lose my salvation. They're arrogant. They're self-willed. They're, they're full of themselves. They're not full of Jesus. And then these teachers... It goes on to say, blaspheme glories. There's a, a song that Christians have often sung. Satan is under my feet, stomp on him. It's foolishness. It's blasphemy. It should not be sung. I've been in meetings where that song is being sung I stand with my head bowed, repenting for those people in their foolish blasphemy, 
against what they don't even understand. It says, beings greater in strength and power do not bring slanderous judgment against them from the Lord, that is, against these fallen entities. But he says these men who who bring these accusations, who who have this pride, who have this arrogance, who are self-willed, said these these men are like animals without reason, having been born by nature for capture and destruction. They blaspheme in matters in which they are ignorant. They will be destroyed by their own destruction, receiving back a reward of unrighteousness. They revel in their day of pleasure. He goes on, their spots and blemishes, carousing in their deceptions, feasting together with you. In other words, they're a part of the church. Having eyes full of adultery, never ceasing from sin, seducing unstable souls, a heart having been trained in greed, children of a curse. The ones having left behind the straight way, they were led astray, having followed the way of Balaam, having followed the way of the lust for money. He loved the reward of unrighteousness. Peter says a dumb dumb donkey, that is a donkey who could not speak, suddenly spoke with a man's voice and restrained the madness of the prophet. God goes to such lengths to try to warn us to turn away from this wicked lust of our heart, this arrogance, this self-will, this this reaching out and grabbing what I want. Some of you know the movie The Frozen. And your children, you may have even bought some of the toys for the frozen. The frozen is really talking about the human potential, the inner strength. We have to be the best we can be. We we can do anything we want to do. We just need to reach out and be positive and go for it. That's paganism. It's not Christianity. That's not what the gospel teaches. There was a day when self-esteem was considered to be pride. But now, America worships at the idol of self-esteem. Self-esteem will take you to hell. It's pride. The Lord humbles my heart. And causes me to lift up Jesus. I am the servant of the Lord God of heaven. I am the servant, the bond servant of Jesus. He is not my servant. He is not there to prosper me in my humanistic adultery with the world. Christmas is a time of great 
apostasy among Christians. Santa Claus and the, the magic of Christmas is all pagan. It's not Christian. In fact, Christmas is a pagan holiday. It's not a Christian holiday. Now, we've covered it over with the birth of our Lord, but of course, he was not born in December. He was born in the fall. That's why I started playing Christmas songs that I love in the fall. Now, will I give Christmas gifts? Yes. Christmas is a time when there is a spirit of goodwill that can allow pagans to hear the gospel of Jesus. It's a time when pagans know it's it's time to love one another and be generous. And so I I will give a gift to each of my daughter's families. And I will give a gift to pagan people. Already I'm I've been saving my money in order to buy gifts for especially Muslims as a way to say to them, I want you to know my Jesus. And so I give gifts and I give them in the name of Jesus to pagans. I won't do a Christmas tree. I'm not condemning anyone who does, but I won't bring a Christmas tree into my house. I love the idea of the birth of Jesus. I love the reality of that. I love that he came as a baby in a manger. And I wait on him. I love that Jesus taught to love our enemies. To do good to those who curse us. But I do not like the arrogance and the self-will, and the lack of fear of wickedness. So to be very straight with you, there are teachers today in the body of Christ who have led astray the body of Christ. Going all the way back, time of the Reformation and before. The Reformation brought some very fine things in releasing us from the the Catholic Church traditions and brought forward that the scriptures are our sole authority. And I believe that. I also believe that we are saved by faith and by faith alone. But that has to be defined. The way the false teachers have twisted faith, they've either made it a magic power for name it and claim it prosperity people, or they've made faith into something that it is not. Faith is putting my confidence in Jesus Christ 
and allowing him to come in and do that total work of change and transformation in my life. Faith does not give me salvation separate from my cooperation with God in the total transformation of my life. I do not have faith as a covering for my wickedness and there is no such thing as imputed grace. That's a lie. The grace that I have received from Jesus has been imparted grace. It's been grace that has transformed my life and made me into a new creature. If man does not cooperate with the Holy Spirit, he cannot be made righteous. And if a man is not made righteous, then these judgments that are spoken against the wicked, even the religious wicked, that Peter is giving us will cause utter destruction. Verse 18, for speaking boastful words of vanity. Speaking boastful words saying, I'm saved, but I can't quit sinning. Those are boastful words. They're wicked words. They're vanity. It says, they entice by the lust of the flesh, by unchecked immorality, the ones having really escaped those living in air, promising them freedom while they themselves are existing as slaves of destruction. For by whom anyone is overcome, even by this, he has been enslaved. If you claim that you are a follower of Jesus Christ, but you are enslaved by sin, then you are lost. And it means we must go quickly to Jesus. And we must gain the victory. And I'll tell you in plain words how that victory is won. It's won by looking at Jesus. It's allowing Jesus to fill our hearts and our minds with his wonderful presence. It's beginning to understand the fullness of who Jesus is. You will never overcome your sin by focusing on your sin. You'll never overcome anger by examining your anger. You overcome your anger by seeing the compassion and mercy and gentleness of our Lord Jesus. His kindness is meant to lead us to repentance. So yes, we look at these words in Second Peter, the second chapter, of, of great warning of really what will happen to us. But we will not overcome sin by looking at these terrible warnings. We overcome sin by looking at Jesus and by being transformed by his power.
by the presence of the Holy Spirit dwelling in us. We overcome sin not by white-knuckled human effort. We overcome sin by looking fully at Jesus. And beginning to understand his great love for us. His compassion. Now, I have constantly discovered in my life new depths of sorrow, new depths of hopeless despair. Because I was born a child of this world. And when I see that, I can choose to dive into it, and it's a morass that will lead me into evil. Or I can turn and by faith, as I'm looking at Jesus, see the incomparable, incomparable mercy and love and kindness of my Lord. I can allow my my pain of my past. See, the pain of the past is not sin. It's what happened to us. It's what we truly experienced. It was the way we were treated by our parents or by our family or by friends or by a teacher or by somebody. It was the way we were abused. We were broken by their behavior and by their treatment of us. That pain and anguish in our heart is not sin, but that pain, if not dealt with, will lead us into sin. The grief I have felt in my life over my late wife is not sin. Grieving over loss is not sin. But if that grief is not brought to Jesus, it will result in causing us to sin. Some of you today live with great fears. Some of you today are depressed and discouraged. Some of you have great inner pain. That inner pain is not sin. It's what you do with it that will lead you to sin, or it's what you do with it that will lead you to Jesus, where you will find complete healing and the fear will be removed. I'm telling you honestly, for much of my life, fear was the driving force. Fear of failure, fear of loss, fear of poverty, fear of rejection fear of death all of that fear was sovereignly removed from my heart as I looked to Jesus I'm not afraid anymore and my life is not controlled by fear I don't wake up in the mornings and have to come into the prayer closet as I used to have to do and spend an hour clearing out the fear I don't do that anymore. I now come into the prayer closet in the morning and I'm rejoicing in Jesus. The fear is gone. What took my fear? The love of Jesus. Knowing Jesus. 
remove the fear from my heart. The Holy Spirit came in. He's the comforter. And he comforts in real time. He comforts for real. It's not a false comfort. It's not a band-aid. He heals the wound of our heart. I was some time ago finally able to say, I'm glad Jan escaped the rest of the battle. I'm glad she went to be with Jesus. I would not ask for her back. She suffered so with cancer and with asthma and with other ailments. And Jesus so many times healed her and, and restored her. But finally he said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take her home, Ray. And I gave her to Jesus. I struggled. But I finally let her go. And I grieved. I wept over her. But today I rejoice over her because she's with Jesus. Sometimes we need to talk about these pains and sometimes we need to confess them one to another. They're not sin, they're just pain. There is pain caused by our sin. And that, the sin has to be confessed and repented of. But that still will not take the pain from our hearts. You're going to have to go to Jesus. And you're going to have to look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and his grace. I don't try anymore to just survive. I don't cover over my pain. I have a very simple kind of motto. When I'm hungry, I eat. When I'm sad, I cry. When I'm happy, I laugh. When I'm lonely, I find the love of Jesus. And in that love of Jesus, I find ways to love other people. I think we need to be very real about who we are before Jesus and who we are before each other. We have no room in our hearts for pretense or pretend. We walk boldly in Jesus. He is our Lord. He is our Savior. He is our God. He is the lover of our hearts. He is the one who comes. I'm so glad that Jesus is not a philosophy like Buddhism. I'm so glad that Jesus is not impersonal as Allah. You cannot have a personal relationship with Allah. I'm so glad the Jesus I serve is one. He came to earth and died for me. And he said, I love you. I know in my heart today the love of Jesus. Now we're almost out of time.
Let me pray. Lord, I come now asking that your love be poured out for each person who listens to this broadcast. I pray that that love will be so real to them that they will run from all wickedness and all sin, not being able to even stay in its presence because it's so evil and so dark and so harsh, so destructive to their spirits. Lord, cause every man and woman listening to this broadcast to bring all of their pain to you, Jesus, and to be healed and restored, to be filled with your presence, to glory in you, Jesus. I glory today in you, Jesus, my Lord. Thank you. I pray in your holy name. Amen. Well, you've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I'd love to hear from you. We're moving well into this month, and donations so far have been very small. I need to hear from you. Would you write to me at Pastor Ray Greenley, National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22193 or would you go to our webpage nationalprayerchapel.com you can give online I'm trusting Jesus for this broadcast if this has been helpful to you then let me hear from you I love you my brother my sister I'm Ray Greenlee from the National Prayer Chapel We meet in a house church in Woodbridge, Virginia. I invite you to come and share with us. God bless you. I'll talk to you soon. I love you.